welcome to the original and the best power hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members of the podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect a fastball. Joey Votto has been going on an absolute tear. Your Reds are five games back of the Padres. I mean, you just got to tell the people, are we feeling optimistic? Are you, like, Do you look at the trades that the Giants made? That the I think the Padres made one just before the buzzer. Are you feeling good about catching either of the any of the NLS teams in the wild card? I don't know if I feel good about catching them, but I feel good about the Reds. Like everyone that knows me knows that I am very pessimistic about the Reds because every chance that they have of proving me wrong, they prove me right by fucking messing up at the end of the year. And we all know it started back in 2012 with the Giants series. And ever since then, I've had no, no faith in them, but you know, this is by far the best offensive team they've had in my lifetime. The pitching staff is is it's iffy, but I think it's mostly good. There's some times where it sucks, but it's been pretty consistent recently. So I'll take that. They got three they got three relievers, which they really have needed for two or three years at this point. They needed to improve the bullpen. They traded for three relievers in the same day, and the guy they got from the Rockies, Michael Givens, just pitch last night he he looked good so i'm feeling good about where they're at as far as catching up to other teams i don't know i mean it's been kind of like an arms race this season like you know the dodgers get better the giants get better like all these teams get better so we'll see there's still a lot of time left there's like over two months before the playoffs so if you get if you get on a hot streak you get good injury luck maybe they make a small run we'll see but I feel good with where they're at, and they just need to focus on themselves, and I think they'll have a shot. Yeah, and plus you guys are in the same division as the Brewers, who this week I watched kicked my White Sox ass in two games in a row. I didn't watch the Sunday night baseball game where they actually won, which was a mistake, but, I mean, you know, that, that happens. But I – listen, you know, as long as you have optimism – there's always next year. That's what they always say. So the three NLS teams just look absolutely stacked. They look like by far the favorites, especially when the Mets are like, the Mets have the same record as you guys. And they're in, they're the top of the division in the East. So who's to say, you know, maybe, maybe one of the NL teams starts slipping. Maybe the Brewers go on a cold streak. Maybe, uh, you know, Woodruff starts throwing balls just right down the middle. Who's to say, you know, anything can happen. That's what they say about baseball, man. Anything could happen. And, uh, you know, if someone wants to take a bullet and just, like, you know, slip something into the the Brewers' Gatorade container, I'm not opposed to that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not encouraging it. If it happens, I wouldn't be mad. That's all I'll say. Right. All right. So let's go ahead and move on. Yesterday was a pretty – it was actually a lot milder 
than I think some expected. There was some reports that Ben Simmons might get traded by the end of the night. There were some reports that, um, you know, Bradley Beal might demand out on draft day. None of those actually happened. One thing did happen, though, and it involves Bradley Beal's team. And that, of course, is Russell Westbrook got traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. He got traded. This is before the draft, like a couple hours before the draft, I want to say. Um, or I think it was like around when the draft was starting, but the Washington Wizards have agreed to trade Russell Westbrook, 2024 second round pick, 2028 second round pick to the Los Angeles Lakers for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Montrez Harrell, and number 22, sources tell Sham Sharania. So, Dylan, just what was your immediate reaction when you saw that trade? I mean, a major win for uh, Washington, like. Aside from Harrell, who I have been notably not a fan of really much uh, the past couple of years, like, listen, man, I think Kuzma is a nice off-ball, off-the-bench kind of guy. KCP is, like, proven to be a really solid just kind of fill-in-the-gap guy, and they got a pick, which, of course, they traded uh, to the Pacers. But, I mean, Westbrook – as good as he was for the Wizards at the end of the year, like you just know your ceiling is much lower than with a lot of guys at this point, especially for the amount of money you're paying him. And yeah, like you may, he may be good enough to get you to the playoffs and lose in the first round. But I mean, you know, what's the point? What's the point of that? And the Lakers have just put themselves in this corner where it's like, First of all, your best three players are a pretty severe injury risk at this point. Uh, LeBron and Russell especially are approaching the point of their career where they're just too old to really, you know, reap the benefits of their athleticism and all that. And there's so much money tied into those guys. Like, they have to be a sure thing. Like, if you're the Bucks. You know, paying Giannis Middleton and Drew Holiday over $100 million is like a no-brainer because they're all pretty much in the prime of their career. They don't have a ton of injury risk, and, you know, that's that's good. But the Lakers, I feel like they're kind of chasing a, a window of their title chances, and it just – it didn't really help them push that window open anymore. I, I don't understand why they would make that trade when – you could try and get Kyle Lowry or even DeRozan. You know, like there's guys out there that I'm not going to say DeRozan would be a good fit, but at least he's younger and doesn't have as much injury risk. Like, I just feel like there are much better options in free agency they could have looked at. And they kind of just, you know, shot their wad before even having a chance to do that. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. And I should have mentioned in my little preamble there, they were – they someone leaked a Buddy Heel trade right before this to Woj, and I think that was an intentional smokescreen to say, "Hey, Wizards, we're doing this. If you want us to take Westbrook, go ahead and do it." And I gotta be honest with you, Dylan. Give me Buddy Heald over Russell Westbrook on the Lakers. Ten on the Lakers. Okay. If I'm starting a team from scratch. Of course, I'm choosing Russell Westbrook over Buddy Heald, but I'm not starting a team from scratch. The Lakers are pretty set in stone with their top two guys. I think Buddy Heald would have made so much more sense for them. I went digging on some advanced stats the other day, right? Because I was curious. Or not advanced stats, but just I was looking. You know, NBA.com has the tracking stats. I went and I found on the NBA tracking stats, Buddy Heald shot 41% 
on catch and shoot threes. And he shot 38% on catch and shoot threes. Both of them top 10 rates are the second one was pull up threes. Apologize. Both of them top 10 rates in the league, right? Like he was a top 10 in total shots attempted on both of those fronts. He never gets hurt. Right. Buddy Heald has been remarkably consistent. He's played over 70 games every year of his career. And he played over 80 games the first three before these last two. So I I don't understand it. Buddy Heald, like Kyle Corver, right? We saw how Kyle Corver looked in Cleveland. And how old was Kyle Corver? Like 36, 37? Imagine how good 28-year-old Buddy Heald is gonna look next to LeBron James, right? Like it's just absolutely ridiculous that they did not do that. And Westbrook just, he can't shoot, right? Westbrook's problems are all exacerbated <laughs> on this Lakers roster, right? He can't shoot. The Wizards, actually, I have to give Scott Brooks a lot of credit here. And they counteracted Russell Westbrook's lack of shooting. They always had a rolled guy in the game, and they always had shooters on the floor. So they were, not always, because Ish Smith was out there sometimes, but they did what they could, right? They did the best that they could. They tried to space the floor. The Lakers aren't going to be able to do that because AD is a very overrated shooter. LeBron can't shoot. And then Russ has turnover problem. How many times a game is LeBron going to turn his head sideways and look at look at Russ because of a stupid turnover? And that's just, that's a part of the deal with Russ at this point. you got to take the bad with the good it's a lot of good but at this point it's a lot of bad i just i don't understand this fit at all and tommy shepherd <laughs> ted leonsis is probably hailing him as a saint because he got off of two supermax contracts within the span of two years actually within the span of a year so he is doing i mean i'm not here taping for ted leonsis's money i don't really care but from that aspect of getting having a lot more flexibility having kcp having kuzma each at 13 million dollars if they can rehab their value you could get something good for both of them i don't think it's outlandish to say that they're both they both kind of got undervalued in last year's lakers system yeah for sure i mean i seriously like everyone wants to diss kuzma and i get it like a couple years ago i was doing the same thing i had it i had a very a uh, big rant that had a small little run on Twitter about Kuzma um, in one of our earlier pods, just about how he's worthless. And he proved in that finals that he is a really good off ball player. And he was a really nice fit next to LeBron and AD. And, you know, everyone was kind of joking because the Lakers were shopping Kuzma in their pick and no one wanted it. And, you know, I can understand that because, if you're a team ahead of them in the draft and you have a, a handful of guys that you like, you know, you're you it's not like Kuzma's that good where you are gonna trade back for him, but I mean he's a nice guy to have come off your bench and play next to a good ball handler. And I mean, I think he's gonna be a good fit there. And KCP's the same thing, except he's a better defender. So at the very, you know, the best case scenario for the Wizards is you know, they get Spencer Dinwiddie or some decent point guard in free agency and, you know, make a run at the playoffs again or the play-in. And I guess they're going to keep Bradley Beal. I just <laughs> – I don't know what's up with that. But it seems like Beal wants to stay or maybe he's just playing a politics game. But, I mean, if he wants to stay, then, you know, they should make a run at the playoffs every year. And the, the worst-case scenario, which is not a bad-case scenario, is that – 
you're not looking that good and you end up trading all those guys again and you just keep resetting your clock. So I think they're in a good spot. Like their, their asset collection to this point is pretty good. I mean, they've had a few, you know, decent productive picks in the past few years and they're not too young. They're not too old. Like they're kind of in a sweet spot, I think. So I think, I think their future, it's not like super bright, but it's, Definitely brighter than it's been in the past, and it's brighter than a lot of the other bad teams in the league right now. Yeah, and, you know, they traded the pick they got from the Lakers to the Pacers, and they picked uh, one of the G League Ignite guys, Isaiah Todd, who supposedly a lot of people had going in the first round. A lot of people are saying, you know, oh, he's going to get selected by Utah if they keep their pick. They did not keep their pick. Um, based, a lot of people had a first-round grade on Isaiah Todd. So taking that, taking a swing on that guy at the 31st pick and getting Aaron holiday, who that's a separate trade or not a separate trade. It's the same trade. They got the uh, 31st pick in, but taking a swing on a guy, like on a long athletic guy, like Todd at 31st, 31st pick and then getting Aaron holiday. I mean, yeah, they are in a real, I think they're in a really good spot right now. I'm not going to say they're like in a better spot than like hell Orlando even, but I don't know. I think right now you might talk me into having them over Cleveland next year. You might talk me into them because I think we agree without Russ, they're in the bottom part of the comp. They missed the play in, right? I think like under normal circumstances, they missed the play. Like the way the roster is constructed right now, I think they, they missed the plan. But like you said, you add a Spencer Dinwiddie who is very good. You, there's a chance you might sneak back into the play-in next year. And I think that you are going to have to take this Wizards team seriously now. And Wes Unseld Jr., we don't know how good he is as a coach, but we'll see We'll see his acumen tested. And he can't be worse than Scott Brooks. <laughs> the only way to go is up there. So <laughs> I don't think um, – I think that anything else to add on the Wizards chain before we move on to draft discussion? No. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the draft. Um, the top five, I'll just read off the top five, and then we'll discuss more from there. Pistons had Kate Cunningham, as expected. The Rockets, Jalen Green, the Cavs, Evan Mobley, as expected. The Raptors kind of swerved and took Scotty Barnes with the fourth pick in their long tradition of drafting uh, wings who can't shoot but can do literally everything else. And then the Magic got a – I'm going to say a home run at the fifth pick with Jalen Suggs. Um I feel like the magic are the logical place to start. Do you, do you agree, Dylan Hughes? Yes. Okay. So they got, they had a pretty good draft yesterday. They ended up with Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, who Wagner was maligned on the Linsanity podcast on Monday, but Kevin O'Connor reported that he grew to six eleven at some point. So he has wing skills. He's a very ready player. And also just in general, it fits the, uh, the Magic's general aesthetic of being the team that drafts long athletes. They also, um, they didn't trade into any picks in the second round. So those are their only two guys. But Dylan, I think for getting those two guys for the Magic, getting a guy like Suggs for the Magic is huge. I'd say this is probably their most, the draft pick they've had with the most potential since Dwight Howard. Like the closest thing to a star potential guy since then. This is huge for that franchise. They haven't had a guy like this that's 17 years ago. What do you think? Like, I know we're not draft experts here, but we both watched the NCAA tournament. I mean, you couldn't come away from that thinking that Suggs wasn't going to be a star. Yeah, they, they had to be shocked when the Raptors took Barnes. And 
I was kind of laughing as soon as they took Barnes because we should have seen that coming the whole time, I think. Even though we know Kyle Lowry's leaving and they need a, another guard, it shouldn't shock us that they took the awesome defender that can't really do a ton on offense. I mean, he he seems to be a good passer and he's good in transition. Um, can't shoot, so you know they're they're gonna be a fucking defensive dynamo either way. With Van Fleet, him and OG, I mean they're you know, and then peace whoever else around them. I mean they're gonna be great. So I I was kind of laughing because I thought that was such a Raptors pick, but. I mean, Suggs, man, like the thing I saw from him in the tournament was he may be one of like the smoothest ball handlers that I've ever seen, including guys in the NBA. Like he is so calm, cool and collected with the ball. And like he's really good in transition. He never seems like out of control, which I think as a point guard is very important that you seem like very comfortable with where you are and and what you're doing with the ball. And I think that's one of his best qualities is that he just is really like collected. And I mean, we saw him in very high pressure situations come up huge. I mean, obviously that game winner was massive, but a lot of other plays too. Like there was, there was, they showed a play on ESPN where he, you know, came up uh, behind some big guy with the ball I think it may have been UCLA game. Uh, mm-hmm. He he blocked him from behind, you know, at the rim. Like that, that kind of stuff is is huge. That's that's something that not a lot of guards are gonna. That's not a play a lot of guards are gonna try to make on defense. So stuff like that is great. Obviously, you know, has pretty good chops as a pull up shooter. I think he's gonna be great next to Fultz. And this is the kind of pick that I thought was huge for them because. We've been talking about SGA and how he needs a, a good counterbalance to him next to guard where – because we know SGA is not a good pull-up shooter. So he needs someone that can handle the ball and play off the ball a little bit, a guy that can shoot. And I think it's the same thing with Fultz. Like, we know Fultz isn't a good shooter. He's really good at pretty much everything else on offense. So he needed a little bit of that balance. And I think that – I think Suggs is that balance. So I thought this was – the perfect guy to fall in their lap. And I don't know much about Wagner, but I mean, it's, it seems like he's got the tools to be a really nice, you know, starting three. I mean, him and him and Isaac together are probably going to be really good on defense um, and offense potentially. So I, I think the magic came out really well on this. Yeah. From my understanding, Wagner kind of translates as a three, four, um, with really good help defense, kind of like think of a Robert Covington mold, but now think of that player as 6'11". <laughs> and, you know, offense is whatever, but I think the defense is what attracted John Hammond to, as we've seen in the previous drafts, John John Henson, Thon Maker, Giannis, um, trying to think of other notable John, I mean, Isaac, <laughs> Mo Bamba. He has a type. His type is long athletes who and do stuff, which is why they absolutely would have taken Scotty Barnes if he was available to them at five. But this was the absolute right pick for them because what's I so as our listeners may know, I was at the final four game. I was at the final four where Suggs played in both games. And my main takeaway was you can't stop this guy from getting to the rim, right? Baylor, Davion Mitchell will come into the league and he will be an I'm not all NBA defender this year, but I wouldn't predict in the next three years, he will probably be at a level of all NBA defense, right? 
Jalen Suggs was blowing by him with impunity. <laughs> like he wasn't bothered by Mitchell's defense at all. And Mitchell's nickname in college was um, off night, right? You play Mitchell, you're going to have an off night. And <laughs> Suggs didn't. Suggs got to the rim. Like I said, with the, he was the only thing keeping Gonzaga in that game. Because if you remember, it's been a while now. Baylor kicked Gonzaga's ass. Everyone except for Suggs did not show up for Gonzaga, including the 15th pick to the Washington Wizards in Kispert. He did not show up in that game because the, they were so physical. But Suggs, man, he just got to the rim, and that's what he's going to do in the NBA. He's just going to get to the rim. He's going to make the right pass. Um, I pulled up the college reference page. He had a 24.8 usage percentage, good for a second on the team, but he had a 23.7 assist percentage. So he's going to find the guys. Now, Orlando's very cramped. I would recommend they sign somebody like Wayne Ellington in free agency if they can. Someone who can just open the floor up for them because they're not going to have, between Isaac Fultz and Suggs, the floor is not going to be very open right now. But they, I think they just need someone who can, uh, who can get to the rim, and they got that guy. They have the guy. And I wouldn't be surprised, Dylan, if we look back on this draft and – five years even and go, why the hell did they take Jalen Suggs? So why did he fall so far? And the fifth pick isn't that far, but I think that he has a high floor and a high ceiling. And that's not true of a lot of guys. Yeah. And you know, I didn't watch the G league at all. So I, I knew nothing about Jalen green, but I was a little surprised. I'm like, if, if this guy's passing Suggs up, then he's gotta be awesome because it seemed like back in the spring that Cade, Mobley, and Suggs were like pretty much a lock for the top three. And over time, Green kind of scooted up in there. And again, maybe that was the right thing. I, I just didn't watch him, so I don't know. But I mean, I thought Suggs, if you could get Suggs at four, you're getting, in most drafts, you're getting a guy that's going to be top two. And he went even further going to five. So I think this was, again, I. I would have loved to seen a video inside the war room for the magic. Cause they, I mean, I'm sure, like you said, they would have been happy to take Barnes, but there's no way they expected Suggs to fall even just that one spot. And they had to have been ecstatic. I mean, there's, there's no other way they could feel right. Like now they have that lead guard. I mean, and he's Jalen Suggs. Remember how we talked about Anthony Edwards. And I said, the best thing about him is that he just keeps going because he was an old football player. And he just was relentless. Suggs is the same way. He's a football player. This is my, I told Caleb this. I texted Caleb this. I ran this by him. I don't think he was a fan of it as much, but I think if you're a football player and you don't, you give up football to be a scoring guard, that's a hell of a career choice because you are just going to get buckets. You aren't going to care. You're going to come in rift probably. I mean, Anthony Edwards was fucking, he's like a bull, right? And Suggs is the same way. They gave up football and now they're incredibly strong and they can get to the rim at will. And I think that I would rather have that than like, hell, this is no shot at book night, right? Because obviously Suggs and book night aren't on the same level, but I would give me a guy like Suggs over a guy like book night because Suggs, it just has that innate. It's not, I'm not saying anything bad about book night here. I'm just saying you play football, you're going to get hit over and over again. And basketball contact by nature is just not the same as football contact by nature. Yeah, and and you can you can tell by watching Suggs that he was a quarterback because he's just like I said he's he the way he moves is so fluid. It's like he's 
he's very elusive. And if he played running back, that wouldn't have been shocking either. But, you know, I think Anthony Edwards plays more like a guy that's busting through holes and taking on linebackers and safeties. And Suggs plays like a guy that's avoiding tackles at all costs. And I think both of them are fine. But you can just tell by by Suggs' smoothness that you can understand why he was Minnesota Mr. Football because, I mean, he is just a pure athlete. And I'm looking at Kevin O'Connor's draft guide, and he has Brandon Roy as a comp. And I think movement-wise, that is perfect because Brandon Roy was a very smooth player as well and very controlled and man. It would be great if he ends up being Brandon Roy because we never got to see Brandon Roy fully unleashed, right, because of those knees. So I'm, I'm kind of rooting for that. If he can be Brandon Roy, man, that would be a great, great career. Yeah, like Brandon Roy, who took down um, one of the best basketball games I've ever seen. He took down Dirk Nowitzki. One of the best basketball performances I've seen. He took down Dirk Nowitzki in the, um, in the first round. He didn't... Um, they didn't win the series, obviously, because the Mavs won the title, but really great. Brandon Roy is a great comparison. Um, I do want to add Jalen Suggs is not only a quarterback. I believe he played safety as well. That's right. Yep, he did. So he was doing it on both sides. He wasn't just avoiding contact as a quarterback. He was giving it out. So he just was he has incredible. He has incredible anticipation skills. He has incredible, you know, IQ. I mean, just, I can't say enough about him. I don't know why he, I know Cade, obviously I would have picked him first and Mobley. I would have picked him second, but I don't know why Suggs would have fallen past three. That I would be my personal big board. And again, I don't know enough about Jalen green. I haven't watched enough of the G league tape, but I just think that you really, I know that, Oh, Jalen green might have the more intoxicating potential, but why aren't we talking about Suggs like he doesn't have potential? He is an incredibly tantalizing prospect to me. I, I just don't get that. But anything else you need to say about uh, Suggs or Wagner before we move on to the next team? I just hope that the magic curse doesn't hit either of those guys because it's, it's about time, man. It, it's about time. It's been 11 years since they were in the finals. Like we We need to get them back on track. Agreed. Agreed. So what team do you want to talk about next? I know there's some teams that int- you want to talk about the Pacers next. We'll we'll get you going on that. Um, well, just going in draft order, like I want to talk about the Kings real quick. I've so they take Davion Mitchell, who I think most people know I love. And, you know, some people in our chat last night were were mad about this. And I don't know how you can like be happy that the Hornets took book night and also be mad that the Kings took Mitchell, right? Like this is, this is turning into a league where you're going to have two or three guys on the floor that are really good ball handlers and shooters. And, you know, I, I can see why people might think that Mitchell's three isn't super reliable and maybe he was just hot in that, you know, tournament run. But I mean, those three guards are going to play together. Like Tyrese could definitely play minutes at the three. There's no doubt. He's a good enough defender. He's long enough. He can play off ball or on ball. I don't see the problem with them taking a lead guard rather than just an off ball guard. Cause I think that's where some people wanted them to go. And like, yeah, like that, that point in the draft was really good for the off ball guard, 
But Mitchell is – I think Mitchell – again, I don't know much, but Mitchell was probably best player available. And he, he can play with Fox. He can play with Halliburton. And I'm not going to personally slander the Kings for, first of all, taking a player I love and also, you know, taking a player that could legitimately be one of the – first of all, one of the better defensive guards in the league – but also just, you know, a good to great guard in general. I mean, I don't see the downside of taking someone like him, even if he doesn't fill the perfect need or whatever. Like, a team like the Kings has to collect talent. It doesn't matter if it's at the guard or the spot that you already have enough talent at. It. I, I think it was a great pick, and I'm two drafts in a row where the Kings have done the right thing, I think. So it's I'm a little bit off kilter right now, but – I'm I didn't expect them to take him, but I'm happy they did. All right. So I'm not gonna lie. I was originally in that first camp that you described because I just I feel like and this is my read on the situation as it happened. Like my first reaction was what the fuck? Because I did not expect the Kings to take Davion Mitchell here. I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest with you and say this came out of left field for me. I did not see this coming. And the reason I thought that is because it was I know you always say best player available, but their two best players are guards. And I'm like, okay, why are you taking Davion Mitchell here? But then I thought about it, and Fox said he wanted to play more off guard, right? He wanted to play more off the ball. He wanted he feels like he's better when he's a just straight attack mode, which I'm not inclined to disagree with, right? Um, and obviously you can do that for 35 minutes a game now if you have Mitchell and Halliburton, right? And you have Mitchell take the spells or you have Halliburton take the spells where neither of them are out there, but they need, I'll say the one thing I like about this pick and before you swayed me, the one thing I liked about it is that the King's point of attack defense was dreadful. And that starts with Tyrese Halliburton and it starts with deer and Fox. Those two guys are just awful on defense that like Dylan, we agree. Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes are not bad defenders. They might not be great, but they're not bad at playing defense, but they had the worst defense of all time last year. And that starts with their guards. And I think getting buddy healed out of there will help that cause, you know, maybe you trade him for Danny green, Danny green helps solidify your defense. Um, but I think that having Davion Mitchell in there helps solve probably your biggest problem. And that's just on ball defense and pick and roll defense. And so one thing you can't say about Davion Mitchell, he won't quit. He won't stop fighting. That dude is a dog in the best sense. I I love the way he plays. I just was surprised he went nuts. Yeah, I mean, I was too. I It was one of those kind of mouth-dropping picks because they have two really good guards. But again, I think, I think he's going to fill a role. And wings are definitely the most important crop of players in the league. But I also think it's the deepest pool of talent. Like, they can go out and find some guys in free agency. It'll be fine. And, if you know, I don't know if they'll keep Harrison Barnes or not, but if you keep him and maybe, like you said, get a Danny Green type of guy, um, or who knows, maybe the the Blazers tear down and they get Covington or something like that. Like, they, they can find guys to fill that role. Center is a little questionable at this moment, but I think they'll be fine. I, I think you've got to look long-term and, and realize that Mitchell – probably is going to be the best player out of the crop of guys they could have taken. 
And hey, if you got to make a trade at some point, make a trade. You know, I, I don't think that should scare you out of not taking a guy. Yeah, that's a good point. My, my, on obviously, I don't have any reporting. I don't have any sources in Sacramento or anywhere for that matter. But my, my feel on the situation was is that they were anticipating one of Giddy or Franz Wagner being there at eight. Josh Giddy or Franz Wagner being there at nine, excuse me. And Josh Giddy was picked by the Thunder at six. And that was probably one of the more surprising picks in the draft, too, because I don't think anyone expected him to be taken that high. But then the Warriors take Kuminga and then the Magic take Franz Wagner. And I think that if honestly, if one of those two guys was on the board, Dylan, I think they'd take one of them because that kind of fits what they need. I know you're not supposed to draft for need, but when it comes to talent plus need, I think that kind of supersedes you know, just best player in my, in my opinion. Right. And I frankly think those two guys are more talented than Mitchell, just based on, you know, not based on my knowledge of the guys, but Hey, you know, they went in the top eight for a reason. So getting Mitchell at nine, I didn't, I don't, I still don't love it, but I didn't hate it as much as I did at, you know, nine o'clock yesterday or whenever they announced the pick. Yeah. Again, I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen? And they probably did. I could definitely have seen them take Wagner. That's the type of guy that they kind of go for, it seems like. Um, and that would have been a good pick. I think it obviously would have helped their defense. And I don't know a ton about Giddy. I've heard good things about him. Um, but, of course, Sam Presti, uh, you know, likes, likes the Giddy types nowadays. So not surprised he took him. But, you know, so – the next thing, I mean, Zaire Williams to the Grizzlies, not much to say about that. We don't really know much about him. A little surprised they didn't take Book Knight because, uh, as we talked about, they kind of need an off-ball guy next to Morant. But maybe Dylan Brooks did it for him. Like, maybe maybe they're just fine with that. Um, or maybe they've got a free agency plan. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the Valanciunas trade. They talked about it on Monday's Linsanity. Thankfully, they recorded after the news broke. But apparently, Zaire Williams has a lot of on-ball creation upside, which is something they need. They need an on-ball creator probably more than anything, any other team, any other team that's not located in Canada, I would say. But I think that they made this trade I, 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 the trade. Okay. So in case you missed it, the Grizzlies traded 17, 51 and Jonas Valanciunas for the 10th pick, the 40th pick and um, Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. We didn't talk about that trade. We probably should have. Um, I, the only reason that trade would make sense to me from Memphis's perspective right now is if the only two ways they thought Zaire Williams wasn't going to be there at 17, which it seemed like he would be. And if they didn't want to pay Valanciunas, that's the only two ways that trade really makes sense to me. What about you? How did you like the trade? Well, I don't, I still don't know how I feel about it too much. Like I think Valanciunas is better than Steven Adams, but I still like Steven Adams a lot. I mean, you're not going to have the same spacing that, that Valanciunas gave you, but defensively he may be a little bit better than Valanciunas at this point. I thought he was really good for New Orleans this year on defense. Eric Bledsoe is just worst case scenario. He comes off your bench for a year and you cut him next year and he doesn't really cost you much. 
Uh, I don't want to say they can trick someone into trading for him because I don't I don't know if they can. But, you know, I, I don't think he would be terrible off your bench. I know you love Tyus Jones, but I don't know. As much as I don't like Bledsoe, I think he probably offers more upside than Tyus Jones just because of his creation. Even though I hate watching him, I mean, he would be – I think he would be good for a team off the bench. I, I can say that. If you have him playing – with guys that should definitely have the ball, then it's terrible. But if if he's like the best creator on the floor, it's it's fine. Like it it's whatever. So the the players swap, it's probably kind of a wash. And I don't know. I guess they locked in a guy they liked in the draft. Again, we don't know a ton about Williams. Uh I mean Kevin O'Connor's comps are Cam Reddish and Brandon Ingram. So obviously we don't know that's just like a high ceiling type of thing, but those are two guys that we both like a lot. So we'll just have to see, but their lack of using Brandon Clark last year kind of scares me into this. I know Brandon Clark's not the same on offense, but I don't know. Like, I don't know why you would not use Brandon Clark and then go for a, a big like this as well. Yeah. And I, you know, you could have trade if you wanted a guy like this, why didn't you attach Clark and say, here, here's the 10th pick. You can have uh, whoever's left at 10, Golden State, but why didn't you take the 10th pick and Brandon Clark, right? Like, why didn't they do something like that? I don't know. I I don't doubt Memphis's front office at this point. Um, they have earned an incredible benefit of the doubt, I would say, just based on how they've operated since Chris Wallace left. Um, that being said, I don't know if this is just a move to duck, you know, being over the salary cap. I don't know what that is. And I mean, hey, you moved up to the 10th pick in a draft that looks really good. And if Zaire Williams works out, they're going to be like, oh, that's great. You know, he was the 10th best player in the draft. We don't know right now because he had a really weird year at Stanford. But I mean, who's to say, right? I mean, if they if he turns into a stud, then they're going to be like, well, what the hell were we talking about this whole time? Right. Like, what was the what was the uproar? I, I just, you know, I need to see more. But hopefully um, he could turn into something good. Now let's keep moving down the draft board. I think the next team, the Hornets getting book night. <laughs> I mean, Dylan, the Hornets are just guard central right now. Like what the hell are they? And they drafted Kai Jones at 19. They traded with the Knicks and they traded a future first to get back into the draft draft Kai Jones. I think the Hornets got to come away from last night thinking that we really did a good job. Yeah. So book night, Again, I, I don't know a lot about these guys. I'm not going to act like I do, but I mean, they have a really nice crop of, of guards that they all offer something different. I mean, Terry Rozier is more of like the, the on-ball scoring type of guy, good shooter. You know, Devontae Graham, great shooter, great passer. LaMelo is kind of a do-it-all guy at this type and also massive. And then Book Knight is, you know, maybe gives you what Malik Monk should have given you. You know, like there's there's a lot of different skill sets and they kind of all mat, uh, mat, yeah, match or mix well. Um, and, you know, as we were talking about pre-pod, I mean, LaMelo is 6'8". Like, he could easily play the three. And, you know, maybe your defense sucks, but who cares? Like, we don't care about defense at this point. It's <laughs> As much as I like watching good defense, sometimes, like, you're going to trade good offense for good defense, so whatever. And... If, if it doesn't work out, then you trade one of them again. Like it goes back to the Kings thing. 
you have good players. They're going to be valuable in trades. There's a lot of teams out there like Washington, they would say, hey, man, if you want to give us one of your guards, we'll give you a future first or we'll give you something else good. Like there's there's deals to be made if it doesn't work out. And it seems like Book Knight could have won a few spots earlier. So it was a kind of a good value. And, you know, we'll see what they do in free agency. They got Mason Plumley, who's hopefully their backup center, but we'll see. Kai Jones, you know, is is unique. I think that the Texas bigs almost always turn out to be good. Mo Bamba being the one that hasn't really worked out yet. But, I mean, these Texas bigs have pretty much all been good the past, like, five, six, seven years. So, the from a pedigree standpoint, it, it you know, seems like that would work well. And they kind of need a guy like that. He fills a role. So, we'll see. Like, I think I think they had a, a interesting draft. And they've got a really fascinating roster right now. Yeah, um, just going off KOC's big board, he had Book Knight sixth, and he had Kai Jones sixteenth, and they got they got them at eleven and nineteen respectively. I mean, that's great. Um, Kai Jones seems very raw, right? I wouldn't be surprised. Like Dylan, you know, as a Pacers fan, Miles had a lot of hype coming out as the eleventh pick, but he really took a couple of years to really become himself. Like what he is, I wouldn't even say he's the finished product yet. But it took him a couple of years to even get like a hang. Like he started right away and he was really good on defense right away. But Dylan, you know, he's definitely improved a lot in his time in the NBA. Like he definitely, and I'm not saying Kai Jones or, or Miles Turner is as raw as Kai Jones was as raw as Kai Jones is. But I think that there's definitely something you could look forward to if you're a Hornets fan and being like, okay, this is kind of the same thing, right? This guy can dribble a little bit, he can shoot a little bit, he can block shots. I mean, if this guy can develop his game. And if he tops out as Miles Turner, guess what? That's a really good fucking player. So getting that guy at 19, I think, is a steal. And then Book Knight, I mean, just an off-the-bench scorer who, for right now, I mean, you're right. Malik Monk, I thought, was really good this year, but he hadn't been good the first three years in the NBA. I wouldn't be surprised if someone signs him away on an offer sheet being like, hey, you know, we could use some on-ball creation. I mean, honestly, Dylan... Maybe you, uh, maybe the Hornets or the Grizzlies sign him to an offer sheet, Monk to an offer sheet, and they say, hey, here's Steven Adams. Here's your starting center for next year, right? Maybe. I don't know. But I don't think Steven Adams was as bad as he was in New Orleans last year. I think that was a really shitty situation. But I think that Charlotte, they're in a really good spot right now. And, you know, if they want to take a year back and try to compete for the play-in again and while developing their guys, they could do that. Or if they want to go for the top six, I think they could make the top six. Right now, the way the East is looking, the bottom of the East is looking very shaky to me, like from Atlanta on down. I say the definitive top four coming out of the finals, in any order, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Philly, right, is the top three. Then I think Atlanta showed the seeds of why they'll do it again next year. Then after that, it's a smorgasbord, right? I could see it playing out any way between Boston, Miami, Indiana, Charlotte, um, those four teams alone. And then you add in, maybe Detroit rises up next year. Maybe Cleveland rises up next year. I didn't even mention the Knicks. <laughs> so I think we're... Oh. Exactly. Toronto. I didn't even say Toronto. So you have a lot of teams in the East that could reasonably talk themselves into competing next year. Washington. So I think that the Hornets, I think they're in a really good spot either way. If they try to go for it or don't. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we don't know the first round pick they traded away. Like, uh, well, we might. I didn't see what year, what protections were on that. But, I mean, again, worst case scenario, you just get back into the late lottery next year and you get another guy. So it's, it's interesting. And they've got a really deep team. And, you know, aside from Lomelo, they don't have a ton of super high ceiling guys, I would say, but they have a bunch of high floor guys. And that's a lot of years that's good enough to at least get you in the playoffs. And then from there, you know, you've got guys you could trade for someone better. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, anything else on the Hornets before I move on? No. Um. Neither of us know anything about the guys the Spurs drafted at 12, Josh Primo. And that's probably a bad sign. Um, the Spurs really could have had their pick of the litter here. They had a lot of really tantalizing guys, and they went with an 18-year-old kid who couldn't get off the floor, get on the floor hardly at all in Alabama. Um, I don't think we need to waste any time talking about the Spurs other than saying, what an atrocious pick. Do you agree? <laughs> Yes, from a value standpoint, at least. Again, we don't know how he is as a player, but from a from a value standpoint, kind of odd. And again, I know Dylan always says best player available, but they really didn't need any more guards in San Antonio. That's the last thing they need. Their roster is littered with ones and twos. Littered! And I know maybe you're trade DeJounte. I know maybe you trade Derek White. I know... You're not going to trade all four of them, though. <laughs> you're not going to trade Vassell. You're not going to trade. You're not going to trade Walker, Vassell, Murray, and White. You're not going to trade all four of those guys. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. But I don't, I'm not going to spend any more time on the Spurs than we have to. Chris Duarte at 13 to your Indiana Pacers, Dylan Hughes. The Pacers also selected Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky with a 22nd pick. Um, let's talk about Isaiah Jackson real quick before we, before you tear apart internet GMs. I think Isaiah Jackson can be really good. We've seen a lot of guys get really undervalued at Kentucky getting lost in their roles. I mean, he's really tantalizing. He's this like six eleven big man. He basically seemed like basic from what I understand, he's like Nerland's Noel, right? And getting that guy at the 22nd pick, I think for the Pacers, I think that's huge. Having a rim protector, that's not Miles Turner. I, they needed a rim protector that wasn't Miles. Yeah, and I just haven't seen enough from Goga to really cement him as like the backup center of the future. And I mean, I think he got a little bit better this past year, but I would much rather have a Nerlens Noel type of guy that could definitely play with miles. He may not be able to play with Sabonis as much, but he could definitely come in and play a, a good role. Like if you, uh, you know, look at the, I'm trying, I forget the guy's name. They, they brought in last year, but they they've like pieced together this five man role where it's just kind of some some bigger guys that you know come in and and they're not necessarily meant to play center but they're playing center and like it's it's worked out like the defense hasn't been great but it's been good enough and getting a guy like that that can come in and and he's really athletic from what they showed so you have a bunch of ball handlers on this roster that he can fit really well with. And, like, who knows on offense what he'll end up becoming. But, I mean, it's Jakar Sampson. That's who I was thinking of. Jakar Sampson had no business playing the five, and he played it pretty well. Like, I think he could easily come in and play better than him and play better than Goga. So, I think it was a solid pick. And, you know, as far as the trade, like, we knew Aaron Holiday was getting traded. 
He's extension eligible, hasn't really proven a ton, pretty inconsistent. Like, he's shown flashes, but this team is, like, littered with guards at this point. You want to bring back McConnell. Edmund Sumner was way better than him last year. Like, they had to trade him. And I I figured that they would probably get an early second for him, and they ended up just trading him with a second to move up nine spots, which I think value-wise is pretty good. So – Overall, I think that move was solid for the Pacers. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, shout out to Aaron Holiday. Um, he was fine in spurts. I don't. I honestly, when he was packaged, when I found out he was packaged with thirty one for twenty two, I'm like, that makes a lot more sense because I'm like Aaron Holiday on his own, the way he's played, he is not worth the twenty second pick so far, and I think. He is going to do better with more of an opportunity. It's kind of been weird because the year after, or the second his second year in the league, they brought in TJ McConnell, and McConnell basically took all his minutes, and rightfully so. McConnell earned all those minutes. But um, getting a guy like Jackson off the bench is going to be huge for them because Goga is fine, but I don't think Goga is going to cut it for this team anymore. I would doubt... And it sucks that they're giving up on that first so soon into his career. But he, you know, he just isn't cutting it, and that's fine. But a guy like Jackson, who had 2.6 blocks a game in college, right? He's going to be a shot blocker in the league, maybe average a block a game off the bench. That's exactly what they need. And I'm glad they got it. And if he turns into something even better, that's great. You got him at the 22nd pick. And we'll talk about the one that has Pacers Twitter. Um, Safe to say, everyone's angry about this pick in Indiana, right? Like everyone except the two of us. Chris Duarte at 13 um, out of Oregon. Dylan, you said you had something for the people on Chris Duarte. Let us hear it. Yes. So everyone just loves potential, man. Everyone on Twitter that has absolutely no stakes in any basketball team except for their mental health because people just invest everything they are into a basketball team. Um, But no one has any stakes, right? They don't care about winning right now because they don't have a job on the line. Everyone just looks at the next five years, the next 10 years, and what someone could be instead of what they are now. And listen, everyone loves Moses Moody. I get it. I mean, I see a comparison to Mikhail Bridges. Are you kidding me? That's something that I'm going to fall in line with. But the, the kid is much younger, which means he's most likely going to take years to develop. Like, so Mikhail Bridges this year, was, I mean, he's been good in the past, but this year he was really good. It's his third season, right? And that's worked out well for the Suns' timeline because his first two years, they sucked. So it didn't matter. The Pacers are a team. Listen, they've made their moves, okay? They've traded for Sabonis. They've traded for Levert. They signed Malcolm Brogdon. Like, they've made their moves. They're trying to win basketball games now. And they took a guy that some of these guys, some of these draft analysts are, and and I'm not saying draft analysts like guys on Twitter that watch, you know, 100 basketball games a year and think they know everything. You know, I'm talking about Mike Schmitz, like guys that literally travel around the world watching basketball for a living that – seem to have a pretty good idea who's a good basketball player and who's not, and also are actually talking to real NBA scouts. And, you know, guys like him have said Duarte may be the best shooter in the draft. Like, he may not be super talented on ball, but he seems to be good enough. He's a very good defender. 
And by the way, there was a an Oregon guard that stuck around for a few years that has turned out to be pretty good. His name's Dylan Brooks. You may have heard of him. So, you know, I don't I don't know if many have made a Dylan Brooks comparison, but if he's Dylan Brooks, then you fucking take that guy at the end of the lottery every time. And he's going to slide in. He's going to be a perfect fit next to everyone in this team. This team has ball handlers. They don't need a guy that can attack off the dribble all the time. They need a guy that can play with Malcolm Brogdon. They can play with Sabonis. They can play with LaVert, TJ Warren. All those guys have to dribble. If you can have a super floor spacer that can also defend on the other end, you take the guy. And by the way, the Golden State Warriors, who have, you know, they've done a few good things in recent years. I don't know if you've been paying attention. They were trying to trade Moody to the Pacers along with other things to get this guy. They wanted him because they know he's going to be awesome right now next to good players. And Moody is going to take time. So instead of focusing on what a guy can be in five years when maybe all the good players on our team are gone, get the guy that's going to be good now. And the Pacers did that. So, you know, maybe in five, ten years we look back and say, oh, yeah, Moses Moody was better. But who's going to win more games for the team right now? Probably Duarte, and that's why the Pacers got him. And um, I know, you know, college basketball is obviously different, Dylan. But – when it came to the big stage, right? I think we agree. People that show up in the NCAA tournament aren't scared of the moment, right? Like, I know, obviously, everyone has a choking moment. Like, everyone has a bad moment in clutch time, whatever, whatever, yada, yada. Um, Chris Duarte, in his two NCAA tournament games, he averaged 22 points a game on, like, 60% from the field. And let me tell you, <laughs> Moses Moody in his three games did not average that, all right? He was pretty bad in the NCAA tournament. And I understand, right? Like, oh, you know, Moses Moody, he can he's going to probably be a stud in the next five years. But like you said, the Pacers aren't going for the next five years. They're going for right now, right? Look at their team. Chris Duarte is a year younger than Sabonis, right? And most times that would honestly be looked at as a liability, but the Pacers are trying to win, right? Didn't I pose to you the question of the Pacers? I think during Pacers week, one of the, the second Pacers week, I'm pretty sure I asked you like, they're in a, like if you thought they were in a great spot or not. And I think we both said, yes, they're really talented. They played really good offense last year without TJ Warren. Obviously the defense was an unmitigated disaster, but that was, you know, whatever. And bringing in a guy like Duarte who will play defense, he might not be the best at it, but he's going to play hard, right? He's a 24-year-old guy. He knows he plays hard. He knows he has to do that to stay on the floor, right? And you add in the fact that he can shoot. I don't really see the downside of this pick for the Pacers next year. Yeah, he might plateau, right? Like, he might not get better after his second year. Who cares? <laughs> if you're trying to win now – Odds are you're not even going to be able to keep Duarte past his rookie contract, right? Because if he's good enough, he's going to get paid. So I, I just don't understand the animus behind the internet's reaction to the pick because he's a good player. He's a good player, and you're you're trying to win now, and a good player is going to help you win now. Yeah, and, and people are, like, already looking ahead to the end of his career. Like, oh, if he plays 10 years, then he'll be 34 years old already. It's like, okay, who gives a fuck? How does that have any impact on teams right now? Like, I was watching uh, Around the Horn yesterday, which I never do, but it was just on, so I'm like, okay. And they had this guy, Clinton Yates, that was talking about Cade Cunningham. They were like, you know, 
they were discussing whether Cade Cunningham's worth all the hype or all that. And Clint Yates is like, when you're a when you're an NBA team, you're drafting for a guy that can come in and play good now. And Cade Cunningham may not be whatever the highest potential in this draft, and he may not end up being the best guy, but he's a guy that you can say is going to come in and be pretty good right away. And I think that's how NBA teams really look at it because they need good basketball players. They Some teams like Oklahoma City are like, oh, whatever, like we'll be good in five years, and they've built their team for that. Most teams don't do that, and the Pacers definitely aren't doing that. And Golden State is clearly not doing that either. They don't care about five years from now. Five years from now, all of their good players are going to be gone. So, oh, yeah, Moses Moody is going to be great for Golden State in 2026 when Steph Curry's retired. You know, who cares? They want, they want guys that are good now. And the GMs that actually have stuff on the line, like a job, they, they care about winning now. And it seems pretty clear that Duarte is a better guy now. And yeah, what you said about Moody in the tournament is a good point. Like they mentioned when he was drafted that his performance in games versus above 500 teams in college was way different than it was against below 500 teams. And we've seen this. There's guys that kill bad teams. And when it comes to playing the top teams, all of a sudden, not so good. So what's the point of having a guy like that? And yeah, he's young. He may outgrow it, but if you're a team that's trying to win basketball games now, you don't want to have a guy that's going to crumble in the playoffs or whatever when you need him most. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> the only teams, the only way the Warriors will be playing uh, under 500 team in the playoffs is somehow like the 39 and 43 team slips in. And given the quality of the West, that's not likely. I, man, I, I just... Listen, I love Moses Moody as a prospect, right? And I think he could, I think he has some good stuff. He gets to the free throw line a good amount. Um, he doesn't stop shooting, right? Which is a great thing to have in a young player. Like, you don't want a player to get, he was phased, but I think he was four for 20 in one of the games in the NCAA tournament. And he, I mean, the 20 shots meant he never stopped shooting, right? Which is a good thing when you're a young player because you're not going to get out of your head by missing some shots. That being said, Duarte was hitting his shots against really good teams last year. I just, I don't understand it. I think that Duarte is going to come in. He's going to be really good right away. And he's going to be, he's not going to be like a killer, right? Like he's not going to be a superstar. You're not drafting him to be a superstar. You're drafting him to be a role player. And if he's a really good, if he's a high end role player, that's a fucking steal at 13. It just is. Yeah. And you're, you're drafting Moody to be a role player too, right? So why wouldn't you take the guy that's going to be best right now? Like if Moody or Duarte, like you said, maybe he gets paid at the end of this and and whatever, he's gone. You got four years of a really consistent shooter and defender. And four years from now, the Pacers, the guys they have on the team now are going to be much older. Probably a lot of them are going to be gone. And they may be at a point where, you know, it doesn't even matter. They're going to reset, and that that is what it is. But you're probably not going to look back and say, oh, man, I would definitely trade all those one playoff games for Moody right now to have one guy that might be good. It's just you got to look at – you got to look at what your team is right now. A team that has more of a long-term outlook definitely takes Moody. Like, you're not going to take Duarte if you're, not, if you're trying to win 30 games and get a good pick next year. That's not what you're doing. Like, 
the the teams that need to win now, like the Pacers, they take that guy. It, I don't see how – it's amazing that people can watch basketball for, for so long and still not get it. Like, all of Pacers' Twitter is just so fascinated with upside. And to some extent, I get it because the Pacers pretty much never have a super high-ceiling guy. But you've just got to understand this is how this team operates. They're trying to win games now. They've got a pretty damn good roster. So put a guy in that's going to be a contributor right away. And it is what it is. Like, And you know, worst case scenario too, they have a pretty good uh, horde of assets now. Like Duarte is a guy that, that a good team is going to want to trade for, as we've already said with Golden State, right? So if you have a team that a couple of years from now wants to trade their star, they've got a lot of guys to trade. And, you know, maybe Moody would be a little bit more enticing with the, with the, you know, upside, but Duarte is probably going to be a much more proven player at that point. So I think from a winning standpoint and even an asset trading standpoint, I think the Pacers made the hundred percent right decision. You know what this, this discourse reminds me a lot of reminds me a lot of the Cameron Johnson discourse, right? Remember when the, the Suns traded down from the sixth pick just in case the audience needs a reminder, the Suns traded down from the sixth pick and got Darius Sarge in the 11th pick. And at the time, they picked the Suns picked Johnson, and everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? Right? Like, what are you doing? Why are you taking this, this guy? He's 23. And why are you taking him with the 11th pick? Well, guess what? Look at what's happened now. He has one of the best shooters in the league. He plays really good defense and the injury concerns, which made him fall in the first place, haven't manifested themselves, right? He's just been, and he, I mean, dare I say, he was one of their three best, three most consistent players through the whole playoffs. I, he was really good for them this year. And I just, I hated this, the discourse around the Cam Johnson pick. Well, I actually, I'm not going to lie. I engaged in it. I'm like, why the hell are they taking this 23 year old? who was not projected to be in the top 20, but it worked out for them. And this has a lot of elements of that. What are those, what do these two have in common? They're both really fucking good shooters <laughs> and shooting is a premium thing in the NBA. I mean, what do we say people need? What did the bucks we're, I think it's a marvel. The bucks won in spite of their shooting, right? They were a terrible three point shooting team in the playoffs and it didn't matter because Giannis was a monster. But the other 29 teams can't do that. The other 29 teams can't just say, okay, hey, we're going to cramp the floor. And yeah, you th- you make it work, Lamelo. You make it work, Jonathan Isaac, right? You can't just throw do that with the other 29 teams. You need a space. So I I guess that's my, my last point on the Duarte thing. Anything else you would like to add before we uh, move on? Yeah, I mean, I think the Cam Johnson point is really good. And this is why I just don't think anyone – like the problem with Twitter is everyone has to take it of all everything, everything that happens in the world, not even just basketball. Everyone has a take. We got to shoot off takes. We got to shoot off takes. And it's like, I don't even think people remember what happens at this point because how is the Cam Johnson? How is that not a lesson? I mean, Jared Culver has been garbage and I, I participated in that too. I, I loved Culver at the time. I thought a team like Phoenix, you know, should have, it would have been much better for them to have a guy like that. And if they had Culver, they probably don't make the finals this year. Uh, and hell, who knows? They may have even traded him to OKC. I mean, the getting Cam Johnson was huge. And yeah, Cam Johnson was a mo- much older player, much less upside than Culver. 
And look what's happened. As you mentioned, he was one of their best players throughout the playoffs. One of the only guys that played well pretty much every game in the finals. And he's he fits in with any player. And it's the same exact thing here. And I'm not saying Moody can't do that. And, you know, Moody probably has less upside than Culver did. But, again, Culver has been a disaster. And I don't want to write Culver off yet because there's been some weird stuff with the Timberwolves and they tried to play him at point guard and it was just – you know, it's been weird so far, but Cam Johnson has been by far the better player. And yeah, he may have less upside for 10 years from now, but no one cares about 10 years from now. We're talking about right now. And it's pretty clear that Duarte is going to be the best player right now. Exactly. That's a perfect way to put a bow on it. Um, what other teams stood out to you in the draft? I think we should talk about the Rockets. I think the Rockets had a pretty good draft so they had Jalen Green at two they then traded up with OKC to get the 16th pick and picked Alper and Shingun they then got Usman Garuba and Josh Christopher at 23 and 24 and I'm looking to see if they had any second round picks does not look like they did um Dylan I mean the Rockets came away they were one of the most talented draft teams in the league and with four first round picks yesterday I think they're they're in a good spot now even if it's weird having to uh Two center-ish guys in Garuba and Shingun. Yeah, I mean, Shingun is – I thought he was a lock to go to the Spurs. Man, Mike Schmitz loved this guy. And I, when Mike Schmitz gets excited about someone, I get a little bit excited about him too because he's one of those guys that loves to go overseas and interview, you know, these foreign guys. He loved Luka. I mean, who didn't? But Shingun is – Seems like the type of guy that's going to be really good. And I think the the foreign big men have kind of been hit or miss at this point. I It almost feels like a pure 50-50 split. But the ones that are good are really good. I think there's a huge benefit of playing overseas because, you know, you're playing against adults. Like, there are some guys in this draft that were – I think Josh Giddy was one of them too – like these are teenagers playing against grown men in like really good leagues, you know, and they're playing well. I think that has a benefit. There's a lot of talent in college and there's a lot of talent in the G league, but European basketball is just different. And as we've seen with the, uh, with the Olympics right now, like these other, these other countries aren't scrubs. They have really good players and they play a little bit different style. That's tougher. And I I've always kind of, you know, for a long time because of Darko and players like that, the, the foreign guys have been shunned a little bit. And I think it's really, there's been a tide that's turned where these foreign guys have proven like we can keep up and we're actually better than some of your guys. Cause we've, first of all, we've been professionals from a younger age. And second of all, you know, we've just played a tougher style of basketball. And I think that says a lot. And I think, you know, Shane Goon was a really good, almost value pick. I think he was projected to be a little bit earlier than that. Um, so that was a good pick. You know, I don't know much about Garuba, but I like what I hear from you and from others about, you know, his defense and that's going to be interesting. So, you know, it's, I think they did well. And I've, I've kind of been thinking recently that this Houston team is going to have a quick turnaround because Christian Wood and John Wall did not play much last year. Their two best players were not, were not around. And early in the season, they were, they were decent. Like when they were healthy, they were decent. Jay Sean Tate was awesome. And you're, you're just injecting like a pretty good amount of talent. You know, we'll see if Kevin Porter scoring can follow over, but 
I don't know. I don't. I think they're going to have kind of a drastic jump up in wins, and I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they've improved pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, back to Shingun. I'm looking through the Turkish League. I'm looking on Basketball Reference. I'm looking through some of the guys that are in the Turkish League right now. Um, on his team, you might recognize James Blackman, who went to IU. Joel Berry, who went to UNC. Also in the league, playing for uh, Fenerbahce, you might recognize uh, this guy by the name of Kylo Quinn. Um, Jan Vesely, uh, Nando DiColo, they have a lot of a lot of NBA talent in this league, and he won the MVP. His team finished in fourth place in one of the best leagues in the world. Like, it's just ridiculous what this kid did at 19, and now he's going to come to the NBA. Like, there's a real shot he puts up t- not 20 and 10, but like 16 and 8 in the NBA. Do you like? Do we realize how crazy that is? Like, he's super talented. I don't know why he fell so far. Um, you know, I don't. I understand why the Magic didn't pick him. I kind of understand why the Kings didn't pick him. But the Spurs, that's really baffling. And I think that's going to come back to haunt them for years to come, especially since he's going to be in the same division, you know, a couple hundred miles away. I, I just don't understand it. But I'm mean, getting Green, getting Shingun, getting Garuba. And I don't know much about – I don't know hardly anything at all about Christopher. But – they have so much young talent now. And like you said, you brought up Christian Wood, John Wall and Steven Silas, man, he's a hell of a coach. Like what he was able to get out of the guys on his team last year, he had Kelly Olynyk putting up 20 and eight. <laughs> like that's never going to happen. It hasn't happened before and it won't happen again. <laughs> like it just was incredible. And if Shane Goon has any stretching ability, we saw what Steven Silas did with Christian Wood last year. So I think that, Really, this is a great team for all those guys. I think Steven Silas is a great coach. I hope if he gets fired by the Rockets, he gets another shot somewhere else. But um, I don't think I have anything else to say about the Rockets. Do you have anything you want to add about them? Nope. So we're not talking about the Thunder. We brought up the Giddy thing in passing. Um, I like the Clippers trading up for Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. That's like a little nice sneaky move there. And they also traded up for uh they also traded it into the second round and got Jason Preston out of Ohio. I mean, Dylan, if the Clippers can cobble together some guard play out of those two guys, I think they're in a really good spot if Kawhi comes back. And let's face it, point guard we've been saying was their biggest need. Jason Preston profiles as a kind of point guard kind of guy. I mean, Dylan, if they can get production out of those two, I think they're in a really good spot. Yeah, Keon Johnson was another one that seemed to slip. I think a lot of guys thought he was going to be a lottery type of pick. And, I mean, he went to 21. So, really nice value pick there. Again, I don't know much about him, but I've, I've heard good things. And there's something about Tennessee guards that just, I don't know, like none of them have worked out really. <laughs> but for some reason, they kind of just appeal to me. So, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, guard play has been the biggest thing. We expect Reggie Jackson to leave. Who knows? At this point, maybe he'll stay. But, um, you know, the the bench was definitely the issue. And, and they still almost made the finals. Like, if Kawhi was healthy, they would have made the finals. So, exactly. they, they, don't need, they don't need much. That's exactly right. Um, I don't think we need to – oh, I will say, I like the Pelicans getting the Murphy kid out of Virginia. He defends really well and he shoots really well. So – they need space around Zion. 
And if he can just stand in the corner and pull defenders away from Zion and defend on the other end, that's really good. Any other draft picks stand out to you before we uh, close? Oh, I think we need to talk about this one. Um, your boy, Jared Butler, got drafted 40th to the Jazz. How do we feel about that? Yeah, I was a little surprised. I went to bed before it was over, and I was surprised to see in the morning that he went that far. But with the whole, was it blood clots that was the issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not surprised. I mean, it's the blood clots thing have been weird because Chris Bosh had to retire from it, but Brandon Ingram is fine. You know, it's it's one of those things where maybe it's just person to person or maybe it's like risk. Like maybe Chris Bosh was like, oh, I've had my career. I don't want to play, you know, with this risk. Brandon Ingram was young as hell when he got that. So maybe, um, you know, it's just a risk tolerance thing. And we'll see with Butler. I mean, I think Utah is a great place for him because talk about bench creation outside of Clarkson, they had nothing. So I think he was a pretty good fit there and someone that can come in right away and play off the bench and pretty good both ends of the floor. So, I think that was a nice pick. And, you know, going back to the end of the first round a little bit, Denver got another good guard off the bench. Like, we pretty much knew that's where they were going to go because with their injuries this year, they really showed they needed another guard creator off the bench. Uh, so that's good. There's just something about Cam Thomas, man. I, I have literally never watched him. There's just something about him I have a good feeling. He goes to Brooklyn, who have ar- who already have enough talent Thank you very much. But I don't know. I kind of have a just a good gut feeling about that one. So the the guard, the uh, the Nuggets drafted, Bones Highland, which Bones is an incredible nickname, and I don't want to know how he got it. Um, <laughs> 19 points a game on 44, 37, 86 splits. The guy's a bucket, and the Nuggets need a guy who can get a bucket, and I think that's perfect for them. And the Nets, on the other hand, did not need anyone else who could score. I don't know why they picked him up, but hey, Cameron Thomas is also a bucket. Um, another Tennessee guard, 76ers nab Jaden Springer at 28. I'm curious to see how that works out if he plays, if he's an actual point guard. I don't know much about him. I like to judge these guys once they're actually in the league, but we'll see. Um, any other overarching draft thoughts before we close for the day? I will say Jaden Springer, I've heard, and I'm looking at KOC Sting now. Kyle Lowry, Malcolm Brogdon comp. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's, that's my kind of guy right there. How so. do you not get excited about that? Another guy that fell pretty far, um, Auburn guard Sharif Cooper. Yes. He was projected by some people to go in the top 20, and he fell all the way to 48. I don't know how that happened, per se, but I think that um, he's going to be – someone who makes a huge impact for them. If he can have any semblance of a jump shot, he's going to be, I mean, his comps right now for KOC are Rondo ish Smith and Sebastian Telfair, not a great sign for him, but if he can develop any semblance of a jumper, then he's going to be a great guard in the league. But I think I have, I think I'm all tapped out. Are you, are we good Dylan? I will say I like Luca Garza to the Pistons. I, uh, I mean, hey, you pretty much got like the two best college basketball players on the same team now, and we know that doesn't mean anything, but I don't know. I feel like Garza is going to be a decent backup. If he can be like 10% better than Kaminsky, he's more athletic and a better shooter. So I think I think he's going to be better, and I don't know. That makes for a decent backup center. I can't wait till next year 
when you're the world's foremost expert on Jaden Ivy, he's going to be like a top 10 pick. And I feel like the Luca Garza love there was a, was a direct result of your big 10 love. I feel like that was point A to point B there. I mean, listen, man, I, I always, I always cape for the big 10 guys. I didn't even mention Io DeSunma who went to your bowls. I think that's a decent pick staying in state. Uh, but yeah, man, like the big 10 guys always get love for me. And when it's Jaden Ivy next year, I'm going to be sad to lose him to the league, but he's uh Purdue's best chance at a good basketball player in a long time. So I'm excited. Who would he be the best basketball player then for Purdue? Like who, who is the best? I mean, it's big dog, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's going so far back too, but it's, it's been pretty bleak since then, honestly, like they've had some, you know, I don't know, like Robbie Hummel, if he didn't get hurt, would have been pretty good. Um, each one more stuck around, but he's just been a, you know, filler kind of guy. So yeah, it's, it's been bleak. Like as good as the teams are every year, they never have that elite NBA prospect. And I don't know, man, Jaden Ivey, I think has got a really good chance. I got one for you, Brad Miller. Yeah. And again, you're going back, you know, like it's, it's been a good 20 years since there's been anyone. So it's. It's time. It's time that Purdue has a, a good NBA player. You're saying Jerry Seasting doesn't do it for you anymore? Nope, not anymore. That's a shame. I think that's everything for today. This was a, a really fun episode. Make sure you check out our other selections on the Running Hook Podcast Network. Um, Lynn Sanity, I think we'll be back on Monday. I'm not exactly too sure about that now that I think about it. Um, Circle City Cinema, favorite movies with Devin Voss will be out this week as well. Triple Option Pass with Devin Voss and Ryan Gregory. They had an episode this week about the Big 12 shenanigans. They also had an episode about, um, they're also going to start doing their comments previews this week. So they're going to start, they're going to start with your uh, Big 10, Dylan Hughes. We'll see how they think about the football, the football team. Big 10 in the MAC. They're doing one, uh, they're doing one high major conference and a mid major conference together. So Big 10 in the MAC for the first triple option pass preview episode. Um, Divine Rhyme, really good episode this week. First Mac Miller episode, th- first three projects, I believe you guys did with uh you will and uh his friend drew um how'd you how'd you like that episode tell us what's tell us what's good about it it was good i mean you know me and will have have more of a connection with the the later mac um so we didn't know too much about his earlier stuff and i mean the kid made music when he was literally a kid like he was making music in high school and for that reason we are we're not even going to end up discussing all of his stuff because I think we started off on his fourth mixtape and we're kind of building up from there. And it was definitely music that was made by a high schooler, but I mean, it was pretty fun. And you know, Will's friend drew was basically connected to Mac, like all the way from the beginning. Um, So he gave some really good insight on what it was like listening to Mac when he was like a high schooler, just like him, you know, they were pretty much um, the same age. So he got, gave a lot of good insight about what it was like to be a Mac fan, like during that time and, you know, what it felt like to listen to that music. So it was, it was a good episode and I'm looking forward to moving forward because I'm listening to Macadelic right now and man, some major improvements are made. So it's going to be fun. 
<laughs> so make sure you check that out. Um, what other podcasts did to promote? Um, Battleground. I'm gonna try to get that together next week. This week was JD's birthday. Happy birthday to JD. Um, you know, very very happy to know him. Very happy for him to be part of this network. Speaking of JD, facts and stats. Make sure you go check that out. And also from one young soul to another. All right. I know this isn't going to be the book we're promoting for much longer, but I, while it's still here, we have to. All right. If you don't, I'm sick of this shit. All right. I've been doing this for about, I'm for a few months now, for six months, I've tried to come up with a new thing every week. So that means I've come up with about 24 variations of this. I'm running out of stuff. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm running out of material. I'll tell you what, I'll go to your house and I'll, if you have a basketball court, I'll tip uh, if you have a basketball hoop, I'll tip it over. How about that? And I'll put the sandbags on top of the uh on top of the side of the hoop. That way you're gonna have a really hard time getting it back up. And I know that one was weak, but I'm telling you, Dylan, I'm running out of material. I will say that as someone that used to own a basketball hoop and we could not get the fucking sand out of the bottom of it, it is it's really tough. It's it really angers you to move that thing around. So that I think that one has more impact than you can know. I I, I would agree, but I, I, I'm not going to lie. It just felt weak to me, but I think that's everything we got for today. Dylan, this was a great episode. Thank you once again for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.